How we doing? How we doing tonight? We doing good? Hey, take a seat. Hey, sit down. Sit down. I don't want that. I can't believe Nacho actually threw a sandwich. I was not expecting that. Um, I did not think he would get it to the back wall, and he absolutely did not get it to the back wall either. Um, hey, National Feed of College Student Day, though. That'll be fun. Sunday. You get a Chick-fil-A gift card. It'll be good. You just got to come. That's, there's no catch. Um, you can invite your friends, too. They can get one, too, as long as they're in college. Anyways, hey, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Preston. I'm on staff here with the Salt Company. Uh, welcome in, man. Uh, the Thursdays at 8. Thursdays are for salt, so this is what we're going to do. Um, hey, to get us started, is there anybody here that played sports in high school? Maybe college, but we can say high school. We, most of us can relate to the high school part. What about a sport that had uh, like a halftime? So like baseball doesn't have a halftime, but like basketball halftime, football halftime, where there's like potentially going to be a, uh, that was a mild diss to baseball, just saying. And, um, but like potentially where there's going to be like a halftime speech going on. And, and so has anybody been a part of like a halftime speech that was like a little rough? Maybe a little rough. Anybody got like a crazy story that comes to mind? Cole, what story do you got? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually have one. I brought one. I brought a story. Um, <clears throat> so I, I graduated from a high school in Iowa. And so the sports there, as you can imagine, uh, team wasn't doing too great football, right? So the football team wasn't doing too great. Uh, the coach had given us a game plan. We had been going through it the week prior. He's telling us what plays to call, things to look out on. And by the time game time came, the first half goes by and it's as if we just didn't trust the coach and didn't trust the game plan. So things were going pretty south. So south that it wasn't like we walked into the locker room at halftime. Like we sprinted into the locker room at halftime. Like that's how bad it was. We get into the locker room. Everyone's quiet. Coach walks in. Grabs a trash can. Picks it up, slams it down, flattens it totally in half, and then with the same amount of force, he flattened the trash can, uses it through his voice to rebuke us for everything we've done wrong. Okay, and it was traumatic. It was traumatic. <laughs> and, and so I, I bring that up because we're about to go through one of the minor prophets, Amos. Not famous Amos, no cookies here. Uh, but in the book of Amos... It gets pretty intense pretty quickly. However, there's, there's a reason that there's a lot, of, a lot of judgment, a lot of justice coming, maybe some wrath coming in the book of Amos. And if we kind of understand the game plan, we understand uh, what's going on here, it's going to make a lot more sense rather than just jumping right into it. And so reading through the book of Amos really started thinking about, it's kind of like this halftime speech. And, and this, is, this is what I mean here. So, God had called Israel to be his people. Early in, in, in the story of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, God shows Abraham and he said, Abraham, here's the game plan. I'm going to choose you to get my blessing to all the nations, to be a light to the world, to, be, to get my blessing to the ends of the earth. So God chooses Abraham and through that, the family of Israel is born. And so now there's this nation of Israel that God has called to be a kingdom of priests, to be a light to the world. And that's the game plan. God's like, hey, follow me. I'm going to teach you how to live. We see in Exodus, we got the Ten Commandments. We got all the Levitical law. God's teaching Israel how to live and how to be this light to the world, to represent justice and righteousness 
to all the nations. And that's the game plan. However, by the time we get to Amos, Israel is no longer trusting in that game plan. They're no longer trusting in the plan that God has given them. And they're no longer being this light to the world. No longer showing each other righteousness and proving justice. They're actually doing the exact opposite. And so, kind of like this halftime speech, God is going to rebuke Israel. He's going to bring justice to Israel. A lot of judgment to Israel. But it's with good reason. And so to set us up, you know, we're, we're going to go through the whole book of Amos. So I hope you're ready. I got my rector specs on. We're getting quite ready. This is Professor P tonight, okay? We're going to go straight through the whole, the whole book of Amos, sort of. I'll take us through. <clears throat> so, hey, just like last week, we kind of started in the table of contents. Unless you have where the book of Amos is memorized, which if you do, that's great. Or if you're like me, you don't. You can go to the table of contents, beginning of your Bible, go find the book of Amos, and let's get to chapter one. Okay, Amos chapter 1. Okay, to set up this book for us, we can ask the question, you know, who is Amos? Not a whole lot to go off of with that question, though. So we don't know much about Amos. We see in chapter 1, Amos, uh, he's among the shepherds of Tekoa, which Tekoa, that's like southeast Bethlehem. So he's straight out of Bethlehem. And, and we can learn just a little bit more about Amos. He's, he's a shepherd, and he's also a, keep, a keeper of sycamore figs. So he's, he's basically got some sheep in an orchard, which is like my dream uh, in my life, is to have some sheep in an orchard. And that's all we know about Amos. <clears throat> but hey, there's three things that I want to show us in, in the book of Amos tonight. There's three things, there's so much more, but there's three things about the character of God that I want to highlight tonight. And with that being said... Let me just kind of jump right into the text. So if you haven't got there yet, Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos was among the shepherds of Tagoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Okay, pause there. Right where it says the three and then the four, that's Amos kind of being, uh, showing some poetry there. Right, so he's being poetic. There's nothing super crazy about the numbers. Amos is just being po- poetic. And you'll see that repeated over and over again. Okay, so for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have threshed Gilead and with threshing sledges of iron. And so I will send fire upon the house of Hazel. Okay, so really quickly, we got some fire going on here. God's bringing some fire. And so what we're actually about to see is Amos right now in this text, he's going to Israel and he's saying these things. And he just said that judgment is coming to Damascus. And Damascus is one of the seven nations that actually surrounds Israel. So he's going to Israel, saying these things, saying, hey, judgment, justice is going to be served to these seven nations 
around Israel. And we just saw the first one here in, in Damascus. And, but this pattern continues to go on. Verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza. Fire, again, that's the second nation. And if we keep going through chapter 1, we see that again. Because they delivered up a whole people to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre. Again, in verse 11, because he, he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all the pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send fire. And we see that again over and over and over again. And this is what, really quickly, we can see that God, God is a just God. Like God doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. And, and this is not even Israel he's talking to. These are the nations surrounding Israel. And so what Amos is doing is he's actually painting this picture for Israel. Right? So if we were to look on a map, we're going to see all these seven nations that are around the nation of Israel. And, and Amos is like, hey, ju- judgment and justice is coming to all these nations around you. To all these nations around you. And Israel, they're actually, they're actually like getting excited about this. They're like, sweet. God's blessing is going to come and God's going to remove evil from all the earth. God's going to remove evil from all, starting with all the nations around us. God's going to eradicate evil. And he's going to establish his kingdom in Israel. And Israel's going to rule the world. It's going to be the nation that rules the world. So Israel's getting excited about this. And Amos, like I said, he's a little, he's a little poetic, right? And he's like, okay, guys, you're right. God is going to eradicate evil. He is going to bring justice. He is going to do this thing, this circle thing. But he's like, guess what, Israel? Guess where God's going to start? He's like, I'm going to start with you. So Amos isn't painting this picture around Israel. It's actually a bullseye on Israel. He's like, hey, look at these this, what's going to happen? This justice is going to be served around you, but I'm going to start with you. And we just saw these, these little blurbs of all these nations around Israel, but now Amos is, he's flipping it on them. And God is actually going to bring so much more justice to Israel and judgment to Israel than he did to the nations around him. And this is God's chosen people. So why does God do that? Why would God bring fire in all these nations and why would he do it? even to his chosen people of Israel. But with, with a great calling also comes great accountability. The game plan was that God was going to use Israel to get his blessings to the end of the earth, to be a, a light of the world. But Israel's not trusting in that plan anymore. They're doing their own thing. But what is Israel doing? Well, let's look at it. It tells us. This is chapter 2, verse, verse 6. So Amos, he just fl- he's flipping it right now, right on Israel here. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because, this is why. I'm talking to Israel. Because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is 
profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Okay, so there's a lot there. There's a lot there, but there's really two things in those couple verses that Amos is calling out, and that in the rest of the book, he keeps coming back to these two things. This is what he's calling out. He's calling out, the, first, the oppression of the poor. So Amos is calling out Israel for oppressing the poor. And specifically, he gives us this example of sandals, which can be interesting. He's like, sandals, why is, what's, what's the big deal about sandals? Well, God has chosen Israel to, to demonstrate and to show what righteousness is, what justice is to the whole world. But even with, with sandals, where God has taught them, hey, don't oppress the poor, but lift them up, like help, help them out, show them uh, my mercy, my grace. They're actually taking advantage of the poor, taking advantage uh, of their desperation, even for something like sandals. And so what's happening is they got this poor person who desperately needs sandals, and what uh, the leaders in Israel and the rich in Israel, what they're doing systematically is they're oppressing them. Like, hey, if you want some sandals, then we're going to have to trade for some slave labor. And so now they're, they're getting all these poor people tricked into slavery just based off their desperation. They're just taking advantage of them. And systematically, they've pushed down to the, the poor to where they're in this perpetual slavery and they can't get out. And that might not sound like a big deal, but slavery is a big deal to God. And he's not having it. That's not what he called his people to do. That's the first thing that he calls out here. And the second thing that he calls out is, is false religion. False religion, specifically some manipulative religion. And so to give some more context here, there's like two temples that they would worship in, that God's people would go and worship in. And, th- and in this time, in this time period, they had actually, bless you, they had actually put in golden calves, statues, idols, inside these temples. So these are temples of God where, where God's people would go and worship. And in this time period, they had put golden calf statues in those temples. And I don't know about you, if you know a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about Exodus, golden calves, not great, not great things. And so what a golden calf would symbolize is God's people turning away from God and going their own way. Not trusting in God's plan, but trusting in their, in their own plans. And this is right inside the temple. And not only that, there was more idols in there that had accumulated. So this place that God has prepared for them to go and worship and commune with the Lord, not only has golden calves found its way in there, but also the pagan worship of that time has found its way into the temple. Specifically, the pagan worship of the fertility god. And, and we get that looking at right here in verse 7. So in verse 7 of chapter 2, this, this fertility god, this is where the manipulation comes. So the way that the pagans, they would worship this fertility god is they would just, uh, it was like ritualistic prostitution in the temple. And so this has found its way into God's temple, into God's holy place where his people would go and worship him. This false religion of manipulation had found its way into God's temple. And then so when we see 
A man and his father go into the same girl. This is that manipulative, ritualistic prostitution going on. And so by putting this all in the temple of God, they take the way they would manipulate this, this small g, this false God, and they try to do the same type of manipulation with God. And God's not having it. God's not having it. God has called Israel to, to be his people that, that would bring justice to the poor, that would bring justice to the oppressed. Yet his people are the ones that are doing all the oppression. And God has called them to live set apart, to be a light of the world. He's called them to sexual purity and righteousness, yet they're the ones that are living in this rampant unrighteousness, swimming around in in pagan sexual worship. And this is where we see this this halftime speech, so to speak, come into play. James, the brother of Jesus, in the New Testament, he wrote, he wrote a letter. And in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And the question that we have to ask tonight is are we unstained from the world? Are we in this room unstained from the world? You know, maybe our hands don't look like Israel's hands in the book of Amos, but do our hearts look like their hearts? Because God cares a lot more about our hearts than our hands. Because God, I mean, God has called us to be set apart. You know, maybe, maybe for you, maybe for you, it, it looks like, man, it's this false religion for you. Like you come here, I saw maybe it's church on Sunday mornings, connection group, whatever it is, just to kind of manipulate, trying to try to coach yourself up, get a little Jesus fix in. Maybe it is false religion for you. Maybe it's toxic relationships. Maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's pornography, alcohol, drugs, weed. I don't know. But are you still stained by the world? And to to come back to the text, why is God bringing all this judgment? Well, the, the short answer is God is just. God is just. That's the first uh, truth, the biblical truth, characteristic of God that we see in the book of Amos, that God is just and he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. Because he's, he's given Israel a great calling. He's given them a great calling. But he also has given them great accountability. So, Think back with me to this halftime speech, right? Coach comes in hot, flattens this trash can, gives us some choice words. But that's not, I mean, that's not where the coach is going to stay, right? He's going to try to call us back to the game plan. He's going to remind us of what we need to do, 
A good coach, I mean, he's going to remind us of what we need to do, try to get us back on track. He's going to call him back to the game plan. He's going to call him back, hey, trust me, trust me, trust me, come back to me, trust me. And that's exactly what God does in Amos. So turn with me to chapter 5, verse 4. God begins, he doesn't just stay in judgment to Israel, but he's actually trying to call them back. He's like, hey, come back to me. Come back to me. You can be this light. Follow me. Trust me. Put your faith in me. I will lead you where you need to go. Verse 4, chapter 5. says, seek me and live. This is God. Seek me and live. He says, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. He's like, hey, don't go back to that false religion. Don't go back where you've been before. Follow me. Come, trust me. Trust my plan. Come to me. He keeps going. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph. And he begins to close in chapter 5 and verse 14. He says, God's like, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Man, God is calling his people back. He's like, come back to me. Come back to me. He knows what they've done. He knows the evil they've done. God is a God, a just God. He's going to bring judgment. But he's like, come back to me. Come back to me. God is merciful. Like even, even when they're running from God, God's like, come back to me. He wants to extend his mercy to Israel. And that's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. When, when we're living totally against God, totally against his plan, totally against what he calls us to do, he calls us back. He's like, come seek me. Come back to me. And I love how Jesus says it in John 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Like the false worship, the false idols. Man, it can never give us the peace and joy and purpose that we want. But God can. But God can. In the same way that God desires Israel to turn away from their sin in Amos, he desires us to do the same thing. It's like, brother, sister, man, turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. Because God is merciful. He's merciful. This is what the book of Amos teaches us. God is just and God is merciful. You know, but what's, what's the difference between mercy and grace? If you, come to, if you come to church, a lot of times these words, I mean, they're thrown out uh, interchangeably almost. And sometimes they can be. But there's, there's a difference between mercy and grace. And God's got them both. When God is merciful, it's when he, when he does not give us what we deserve. And in Amos, 
You know, God is going to justly punish Israel for their sins. However, he desires to withhold that punishment. And this is mercy. So just to explain these three terms, justice, mercy, grace. Justice is when we get, is, is when we get what we deserve. When we get what we deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. But grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And although the book of Amos is filled with how God is, is just, we also see that in the book of Amos, as it closes in chapter 9, that just so as God is equally just, he's also equally merciful and gracious. So let's flip me to the end of the book, chapter 11, or sorry, chapter 9, verse 11. This is the best part. Just going to say. I lost my place. Give me a second. Chapter 9, verse 11. I love the language here. It says this. In that day, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Man, I love that. All, it's just, I mean, they helped us out here in the English, all the R's, raise up, repair, raise up, rebuild. Like even when Israel had turned their backs on God, Living in complete unfaithfulness, fully stained by the world, even when they no longer trusted in God's plan, God still, God still called them back and God still desired to rebuild them and to restore them, to restore the relationship back to him and to bring them back into perfect peace. This is who God is. Fully just, fully merciful, fully gracious. Amen. This is what God has given us in Jesus. Even though we've sinned against God, gone against God, He desires to give us mercy and grace. But the only way, but the only way for that God could be totally just and be totally be totally just and totally gracious is if our sins are still dealt with. Like God cannot just let the guilty go unpunished and we're all guilty. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God can't just sweep those under the rug. He's fully just, fully gracious, fully merciful. So God has to deal with our sins. And then steps Jesus, Right? This is where Jesus comes into play. Jesus, fully man and yet fully God. Living, living the perfect life none of us could live. But yet dying the death that we deserved to die. Why? Because he's just. He's merciful and he's gracious. It's his mercy that took himself to the cross. Man, and we see that this is perfectly displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, fully just. The wrath that we deserve held him up on that cross. 
and his grace and his mercy held him there. But then he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave for, for you and for me. Jesus in our place. Like all that wrath that we just saw in the beginning of Amos, all on Jesus. Like the wrath that Israel and all these nations got, that's what we deserve to get. Yet it's all on Jesus. And I don't know who it is who needs to hear this, but man, if you're, if you're in the room, man, you're feeling this. Like you're covered in sin, stained by the world. You know that Jesus has taken your place. Like Jesus has stepped in to your place on the cross. Like you don't have to receive the wrath. Because Jesus has. This is the story of the Bible. Like God doesn't want to just coach us up. And God wants to raise us to new life. Like, you don't have to live in your sin any longer. Like, you can be free. That's the promise of Scripture. Praise God for that. And God wants to give you a new way of life. He actually wants to call you in to be this people, this chosen people, to be a light to, to the world, to get God's grace to the ends of the earth. That's the invitation of the gospel. That's the invitation of the gospel. And hey, don't be confused. Like the, there's not one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament. It's the same God, fully just, fully merciful, fully gracious. From beginning to end, it's the same God. And so it's been kind of interesting trying to like, craft a sermon in, in the book of Amos, like how do we fit all this wrath and fire and justice and grace and mercy all in one? Like thinking about how God was upset at Israel because they're really withholding the blessings, withholding God from getting his blessing to the ends of the earth. You know, God's plan from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end is that God wants to use his people. God wants to use his people to bring his love to, to everyone, to fill the earth. God desires for, for man and him to live together in perfect peace forever and ever. And it's been God's plan to use his people to make that happen. And maybe you caught on to it by now, but in a similar way that God gave a great calling to Israel... God's given a, a great calling to us in Jesus. So in Matthew 28, I mean, here's, here's the scene. In Matthew 28, Jesus has, has lived that perfect life. He's died that death, and he's resurrected now. Now he's revealing himself to his disciples. And he's about to ascend up to the right hand of the Father where he is now today interceding for us. And before he goes up, he gives this final call. Scripture calls it the great, or the great Commission. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And man, I wonder how many people are in here today that you know Jesus Like you know Jesus, you've been following Jesus, and you desperately want your friends to know and follow Jesus. But yet you're still living in this life, you're living in unconfessed sin, and you still are stained by the world, not realizing that God wants to use you, like God's called you to reach Michigan State. He's called you to do it. He's called you to do it, and God wants to set you apart. He wants to set you apart. He wants to use you to share the gospel with that friend, to share the gospel with that coworker, that classmate. He wants to call you to flee from that sin and find true freedom. And he wants to set you apart the same way that God chose to set apart Israel. That's the story of the Bible. And that's the story of Amos. And so I don't know what you needed to hear tonight. But man, God is just... He is merciful, and God is gracious. Man, God's given us a great calling, but with a great calling comes great accountability. And man, and I love following Jesus with you guys. God's doing something incredible here. Let me pray for us. God, it's by your power and your power alone that you can change our hearts. God, you're not just a coach. God, we're not here to get coached up. We're here to be, for our hearts to be changed by you, be changed by your, by your spirit, God. God, we pray that you would continue to change hearts in this room. God, would you set us apart? God, would you teach us how to confess sin in connection group? Would you teach us how to flee from unrighteousness? God, would you teach us how to be this, that light to Michigan State? God, would you teach us how to be a light on our campuses? And God, would you continue to use us to bring your blessings to the ends of the earth? God, would you use this people in this room? God, would they just be faithful to you? God, would they trust in your plan? Would they not go to false idols? Would we not go to to manipulative worship? God, to, to control an outcome? But God, would we faithfully follow you? And God, would our lives display your grace, your mercy, your justice? God, that you save sinners. God, you can turn a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God, this is what you do. And God, we're just asking that you would do it again and again. Father, would you save all of Michigan State? In Jesus' name, amen.